0: Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained, Christians are encouraged, and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Romans chapter 1. I'd like to bring a message this morning entitled, Is simply a Christian's response to tragic news. I do not have a PowerPoint, but I think you'll follow along fine. Romans chapter 1 will be there in just a moment. Uh, It has been another week, at least the past week, where we uh, had the opportunity to see across the nation. We tip our heads and take our hats off and our hearts sorrow as flags go to half-mast as yet the news for another mass massacre, a mass killing uh, reaches our ears and hits the news and it really, really surprises our senses, doesn't it, as a, as a nation. As we've looked at the news this week, our hearts again begin to ask the question, what is the proper perspective? What is the right response when we hear as believers another incidence of someone seemingly just with no rhyme or reason randomly taking the life of innocent children? What's the deal with that? And often at the Water coolers at work, or even as we talk about safety around school, what are, we, what are we to think and what are we to do as believers in response? What's the proper perspective? As I've watched the news along with you, and my heart has been broken, along with many of the parents there who have lost children, our, our national response, I have noticed, is one of just simply scratching our heads and saying, what can we do? In fact, as President Biden arrived on the scene Uh, Many of the parents surrounded him, were able to ask him the question, and they simply asked him, what's going on? And please, President, would you please do something about this? Now put yourself in his shoes. What would you think? What would you do? How would you respond? And how is a believer to respond? The news came that a teenage shooter, only 18, of course, uh, took the life of 19 Students, uh, little children really, third third and fourth grade uh, students and two teachers on May the 24th, again, most of the children 10 and 11 years of age. And in the horrific, bloody aftermath, the chaos that ensued, parents began to ask the question, what is our response to be? What can we do? How can we lash out? How can we respond to this? As a nation, we too ask that question over and over as it seems like these things are reoccurring with greater rapidity. And so what happens immediately is there is the obvious blame game that starts, right? Perhaps it was the policeman's fault for arriving there and then waiting at least 80 minutes before entering the scene. Perhaps if they would have intervened a little sooner, more survivors there would have been. One little girl survived by simply wiping blood on her face from a Next, uh, a nearby student, and then pretending that she was dead. School teacher uh, there is under investigation for perhaps reports say that the door uh, for entry was left open by a school teacher, although there is conflicting reports about that. Well, the casualty count, of course, was around 19 total. And then, of course, the two teachers that were taken lives were taken young young, beautiful faces of these children. Our heart is broken. And again, we ask the question, is the problem not enough security, enough training, a careless teacher? Is it the policeman's fault? Was it a poor decision? The part of society? Is it really our fault for raising a, a, a son of America, a, a, a boy like this who would uh, attempt to take the life of his own grandmother and then go to a nearby school and just begin to shoot and murder children in the classroom. Maybe it's our fault as a country, our uh, society is at fault. Maybe he is just a victim, some say, of his training. What are we to do? We default to blaming when we can't think of anything else, the gun itself, or the gun makers, or gun owners, or a specific type of gun. And these discussions just kind of go circular. Round and round we go, what is the deal What should we do as a country? My question this morning is what is our response to be? What is our perspective to be as believers to tragedy and surprising news such as this? What can be done, especially if we don't understand even the motive behind such a horrific uh, tragedy? The boy, was life was taken, of course, in the school, but come to find out his little Discussions over the internet with a girlfriend in Europe uh, did uh, display that even earlier on he had bought this weapon and told her about it and started to amass all this ammunition. And she asked him the question via the internet, why do you need such a weapon and why so much ammunition? And he just simply responded, wait for it. I'm going to shoot up a school. Of course, she being separated by the ocean, didn't know what to think didn't respond, didn't tell anybody, is it her fault? And so all these questions begin to swirl as we lower the flags to half mast and mourn again, another mass shooting. In Tulsa only this past Wednesday, if you've been following these sorts of things, four more people were shot at the hospital inside the hospital, and a doctor Robinson, the CEO of the hospital, was called upon to make a comment. For the media, here's what he said. This was an incomprehensible act of violence. What does that mean? It means that it's a senseless act of violence and hatred. We, in essence, he says, we can't not figure this out. And as a nation, we scratch our heads and wonder why our country is becoming so violent. I am told that the rate of 10 incidences or events per week where four or more people are killed, that's what's happening in America. Over ten times a week, uh, groups of four or more uh, folks are killed in the streets of our country. What is the divine response or perspective that believers need in a time where tragedy seems to surprise us? Well, if you have a pen this morning, a few principles together before we partake of the Lord's Supper, that might be helpful to you as you think about it in terms of responding to these sorts of events. They grip our hearts, don't they, with the surprising almost violence and senselessness of it all. Well, the first principle I give you is this this morning do not try to explain the actions of a reprobate mind. As um, church was dismissed last Sunday, and I talked to Craig Hammer as he was leaving, I said, what's going on? question that everybody's asking after certain situations where life is taken seemingly senselessly. And he said, the problem, pastor, isn't the gun. The problem is in the heart. And he summarizes perhaps the message this morning, but don't pack up and go away quite yet they are wonderful principles that we apply. I think that's right. The problem, the heart of the problem is in the heart of man. But don't try to explain the actions of a sinful, hardened, reprobate mind. Sin destroys reason. You will see in Romans chapter 1 the progression that starts with unthankfulness in the heart of a man that eventuates the end of the chapter in simply a heart that's reprobate, Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, the list goes on, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud. What a catalog. What a list. This starts with unthankfulness and it ends up without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection. Implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, commit such things, are worthy of death, not only to do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Romans 1, really through verses 32 tell us that there are people that reject God. And what happens after a lifetime or at least a continual rejection of God is that our conscience which is given to every person that's ever been born, a skylight really to the moral nature of God, whether or not they've ever read the Bible. But every one of us has a conscience. But when we disobey and when we seek to disbelieve and seek to do our own thing, It begins again with unthankfulness and turns into finally the place of a hardened conscience, a seared conscience that's broken or reprobate. It no longer functions the way God intended it. That kind of mind, that kind of heart is beyond explanation it puts itself in a place where it is abandoned by god god essentially gives that one up to a reprobate mind where the conscience no longer checks the actions of that individual and so uh, again here we see that that god gives them up to a reprobate mind and they do verse 28 thing do verse 28 things that uh, they don't like to retain God in their knowledge, and so God gives them over to this broken state of a seared conscience. How do you explain that? Why does an animal do what a, an animal does? Or uh, you, you would have better chance to explain why a rabid dog does what it does than try to explain the actions of this 18-year-old boy whose heart was given to disobedience. And so they do the things which are not godly. They have futile minds. The word futile, vain, really means worthless. They are worthless thinkers who no longer think with normal appetites. They're guided no longer by even the mores of conscience, laws of society. They are a god to themselves because they've rejected the God of heaven. And so it's impossible to make sense of these sort of senseless uh, actions. They are without God, and they don't retain God in their knowledge. And so God gives them over to a reprobate or broken way of thinking. So to ask the question, what was that boy thinking, is to ask a question that cannot be answered except by saying his heart was hardened with sin. He, didn't rep- uh, he, didn't, he no longer responded the way a person who is at least in compliance to the whispers of their conscience would behave. They are filled with all sorts of unrighteousness. Parents, by the way, this is just a in the for what it's worth department. Uh, please, I know it's summertime and we're away from school norms and habits, but don't let your little boys and little girls for hours on end Play video games that are violent, graphic, and all they do for hours on end with these very realistic video programs, kill and shoot and and destroy and hack and maim one another. You can't imagine a child filling his brain or her brain with these images all day long and not be expected somehow to think that way. It dulls the conscience, it hardens the conscience to killing as a man Thinketh in his heart, so is he. Number one, don't try to explain the actions of a violent, savage mind, by the way, without explaining the sinful impulse. Sin blinds the mind beyond reason when it's practiced continually. Second Timothy, we're going to take a look at various passages today, but 2 Timothy is a great place to go. Please turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Don't try to explain the actions of a savage mind because sin blinds the thought life blinds man beyond reason secondly prepare prepare yourself as a believer for a growing darkness a growing darkness These things seem like they're happening more and more, but did you know since the beginning of time, think about this for a moment, since the beginning of time, Genesis chapter 6, remember that, first five verses there, what does the Bible say? God looked down on his relatively new creation and he saw that the thoughts of man's heart were only what? Evil continually. So he brought in the flood, wiped out that. That uh, first generation, we didn't know how many millions died in the flood, but God was already upset with the fact that there were folks so soon after creation given wholly and totally to a continual thought process that was anti-God. It's not really new the way people are violent with one another. Follow, please, Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more these things will escalate. Don't be surprised by that. First of all, don't try to explain these senseless acts of murderous acts of mass violence upon folks. Uh, that is a result, really, of the sinful hardness of the heart. And then understand, be prepared in your heart that these things will happen more and more. I said, Pastor, I'm not very encouraged by this this morning. But get ready for it. Be prepared. Uh, the last days, perilous, that word really in the Greek is savage times will come. This note that in the last days, perilous, savage times will come. Verse 13, evil men and seducers shall wax or grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We are to continue in the things that we know, but back up to verse 13 again. Evil men, seducers, shall wax worse and worse. That simply means they will grow more violent as the days progress. Another translation says, we can be sure that evil men and seducers will go from bad to worse. That's the promise. And yet the church is called to be a light in this dark, darkened culture. Things will grow, as one preacher used to say, gloriously dark as the day of the Lord approaches. And yet we're, to, we're, to, we're not to be shaken by this. I like what one translation says, keep your head in all situations, don't fall apart, verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of. Your anchor point, dear believer, is in what the Bible says, the character of God, the promises of God, so take that anchor in the midst of all this I don't know. The world is shaken by the news of these violent, savage acts, these perilous times that are upon us, and the Christian cannot be shaken off the anchor point that's in Christ. So don't act or react like the world. Don't scratch your head and say, well, I just don't know. (laughs) What's the world coming to? Beloved, we know what the world's coming to. And we are to encourage folks that there's a God in heaven that isn't shaken. The king of kings still reigns, but the truth is men shall grow worse. They'll go from bad to worse, but don't let tragedy, don't let these senseless acts of violence, don't let it sweep you off your feet, so to speak. A lady came to her pastor. This is a story told by Paul Tripp. A lady came to her pastor and she said she was visibly shaking. She came to her pastor and she said, I've just come back from my house. It's empty, vacant. My children are gone. I got a note from my husband. He left it on the table. Not much furniture left in the house. He said, I took the kids and all my stuff. You can have the house. You loved it more than me anyway. And she looked at her pastor and said, so what am I supposed to do now? How do you respond to that? How would you respond to that if you're counseling this lady? My whole world has been upset. Maybe I'm preaching to someone this morning and your whole world has been turned upside down. Is that you? What does verse 14 say? 2 Timothy 3, but continue thou, don't be shaken, settle yourself, anchor yourself to the things which you've learned from me, Paul says to Timothy. The faithfulness of God, the plan of God, the promises of God never change. There are some things that the worst news in all the world cannot take from you. So he looked at the lady and says, you... Have to hang on to the things that you know about God. Who is He? About what is true. Be filled with truth. About what is promised to you. About what your husband could never take away from you. About what is eternal and lasting. Sin will escalate, but the saved must never be shaken. A third principle. First, don't try to explain the actions of a savage or violent mind. It's twisted or hardened by sin. Secondly, prepare for a growing darkness by remaining committed to what you know about God, His character. God still loves you. He has not given up on His eternal plan that's ongoing, marching along just as He intended it. Number three, in the face of tragic news, find shelter in the person. In the face of tragic news, find shelter in the person who is unshakable and unchangeable. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. Is he yours? I shall not want. And then he brings us rest. That psalm is so good, isn't it? And then it ends with, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you never see any of the Lord's sheep uncared for, untended, forgotten. No one plucks any of God's sheep out of his hand. And yet so many times when tragic, troublesome, savage times come, we as sheep begin to run in circles, right? As if God has died. I love the little verse found in Ecclesiastes 8:4. Where the word of the king is, listen carefully now, where the word of the king is, there is power. Why are we acting like Why are we acting like a boy with an automatic rifle has ruined our world? God is still in control. Maybe you're confused by world events. Maybe personally you're in trouble. Let me remind you the king has spoken over 360 times in the Bible. We are told, fear not. In fact, that's usually the first word when there's an angelic appearance, an interaction with a human Fear not, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. It does seem sometimes like God has taken his hand off the wheel. But the word of the king is faithful, fear not. Yes, pastor, but there's no medicine for what I have, there's no cure. Fear not, the king has spoken, all things will work together for good to them that love him. To those that are called according to His defined and eternal purpose, God still reigns and He holds your hand. He will not lose you in the storms of life. His eye who is on, is on the sparrow certainly watches His dear little ones. All things work together for good. The words of our risen King who has never abdicated His throne to anyone else, Hebrews 13, 20, we use this, at a graveside yesterday or the day before. He who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, shall he not also bring forth from the dead all his sheep at the last trump in the twinkling of an eye, the voice of the archangel? The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the air forever with the Lord. We'll be raised incorruptible, imperishable. That's the plan. God has no plan to allow a bunch of renegade, rebel knuckleheads to take over the world. That's not God's plan. Until He comes, evil will abound, savage men wax worse and worse. But cheer up, God is still on the throne and He's coming back. Set it all right. Death has no more power or dominion over us. We shall be changed. Jessica sang about this. Death has no... The feeble grave, is the words used in the song, has no more power over us. Number one, don't try to explain the actions of a violent, savage mind. Sin is a blindness beyond reason. Secondly, prepare for a growing darkness, but be settled. Continue thou in the things that you know about God to be true. Number three, crisis comes and kingdoms crumble, but our King has spoken. Trust his promises. Number four, violence is a form of judgment for sin as a nation. We reap what we sow. We sow the wind and we reap the world. We reap always more than we sow. What's happening to us? Well, we're reaping. We're reaping. What we have sown. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this was a judgment upon those children. I'm thankful that God has a plan for little children, aren't you, that pass away before the age of accountability. They are ushered quickly, mercifully into the presence of God. But I do believe as a country, as a nation, we're reaping. God is judging us. I don't know if you have a minute, but please do. I'm about about done this morning. But let's go back to Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah 59, it's great to hear a few pages turning, some of you have those electronic Bibles, they work too I'm told, Isaiah 59, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you. Between you and your God, your sins have hidden his face from you and he will not hear. Verse 3, the fact, the whole chapter is a description of the violence of the culture in Isaiah's day. Your iniquities have separated you. Your hands are defiled, verse 3, with blood. Your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Verse 7, your feet run to evil. For sake of time, I'm condensing the text a bit. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed what? Innocent blood. Their thoughts are of iniquity, wasting and destruction are their paths. What a description of this boy that took the lives of all these children and the teachers. The way of peace they have not known. Verse 11, we roar, all roar like bears and mourn. Soar like doves, we look for judgment, justice, but there is none, salvation, but it seems to elude us it 's far off for our transgressions are multiplied before thee, verse twelve, our sins testify against us, our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them, truth is fallen, and then verse eighteen here is the here is the judgment, according to their deeds, according to he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies and to the islands he will repay, recompense. In fact, the first three and a half years of we study in the evening services, really the first three and a half years is simply man destroying man, reaping the grand panorama of end time events, man simply destroying themselves. And then God takes over the last three and a half years of the tribulation. But we're simply in our country becoming more and more violent as we become more and more reprobate as to our intended purpose. God did not slay these children in a sense of justice or judgment upon them. But it is a mark of judgment upon our country. We're beginning to reap what we sow accordingly, or according to their deeds, verse 18, I will repay, saith the Lord. Finally, there is a, another wonderful truth that I think we ought to end with this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 13. Thank you for using your Bibles. Luke chapter 13 as we go to varied texts. But Luke chapter 13, if I may just summarize There are two events that had recently happened in the area of Israel, Luke chapter 13. One was really the massacre of many people at a religious festival. The people targeted were Galileans, and the leader at the time, the Roman leader, had said, I want you to go. Uh, He had put a lot of his, his... His soldiers in plain clothes, go to this festival, this Jewish festival, because he had a vendetta against the Galileans, he said, I want you just to eliminate, carry daggers under your cloak, go dress like you're going to the festival to worship, but I want you to kill as many Galileans as you can. There was blood all over the ground. The other scenario that happened in Luke chapter 13 was the fact that there was a a tower being built, and it collapsed and killed 18 people randomly. We don't know if it was construction workers or those just happened to be near that tower when it failed. Chapter 13 gives us this response of the Lord to these two seemingly senseless acts where in one place a building collapsed, in another place people were murdered. Jesus answering said unto his disciples, verse 2, Suppose ye that the Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, no, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell, slew them. Think ye that ye were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Did God have a thing against these kids therein?" Jerusalem? Uvalde, Texas? No. He's not trying to explain, or nor is he trying to litigate against the construction team that built the tower. He doesn't say, I think we need to go make laws and policies about construction practice that would be, why did this thing fail? Nor did he all of a sudden start parading and protesting against the rulers in Rome. Here is his response, and this is so good for us to see. How do I make sense of the senseless? What's the perspective of a Christian when we hear about these troubling things, these mass murders? Here's what he says. In the wake of Columbine, Sandy Hook, Uvalde, other tragedies, other senseless, unprovoked killings, even natural disasters. Here's what he says twice. I tell you, verse (laughs) 3, he's looking to the survivors. He's looking at us. He's saying this. Don't try to figure that all out. Secret things belong to the Lord. But here's what I'm telling you. Unless you repent now while you have time, you will all likewise perish. Dear friends in Christ, as we think about these things and we notice the escalation of these troublesome times and savage occurrences and we have neighbors that are taken up with fear, one of the, one of the family members there, one of the parents of one of the kids that was deceased because of this event in Uvalde, was, was, being, was being asked by the reporters, what are you going to do now? She says, one thing for sure, I'm not putting any more of my kids in a school in an institution ever again. Too much danger there. Here's what Jesus says to all of us. While you have time. Before it's too late for you. Repent. Come to Christ. Trust Him as your Lord and Savior. For just as surely as you're taking a breath this morning. There's a day coming when you will no longer inhale God's fresh air. And you will be taken away. I don't know what will be for you. It might be natural causes. It might be the bullet of a gun. I don't know. It might be a car. It might be an accident. It might be just old age that takes you gently on to the next stage, which is eternity. But are you ready? The Lord looks at us and says, when you hear these things, see it, dear friend, as an opportunity to warn the living. You were all, some of you, perhaps not all of you, but remember that day when on the television you saw those two towers collapsing in New York City it's just burnt into my memory and I've got to tell you as we saw that one tower collapse and looked at the second one it fell too I remember those hard hats around me as they gathered and we watched that little screen we were in Indianapolis and we were in a building that we were building construction crew And those men looked at me and said, Lauren, they knew I was a preacher. They said, what is God doing to America? And I knew that I couldn't preach a 30-minute sermon. So I looked at them and said, you know, guys, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. Are you ready to die? Do you know for sure that Jesus lives in your heart? Because as soon as you expire your last breath on this earth, you will spend eternity in heaven or hell. And the Lord says to his disciples who are trying to figure it out, Luke 13, why did this happen? He cuts right to the chase and says, except you repent you will all likewise perish. We are to use our time to respond. Whosoever will may come. Father, as we come before the elements of this table, and as believers, we thank you for the finished work on the cross. I pray that we would certainly examine our hearts to know for sure, Lord, that we are ready Number one, that we've received you as our Lord and Savior, trusted in you personally. And Lord, I pray that we would be those who are telling others about the great news, that they too can be rescued from an eternal punishment in hell. Lord, I pray that we would repent for turning our back on you, for living in sin. Help us to repent before we suffer the consequences of such disobedience. Heads are bowed, no one's looking around. The Lord has just impressed upon me again to ask the question, are you ready? Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.